Um, if you understand people and what they're trying to do, and then you begin to take a look at the environments they're in, you begin to see these patterns. So if we talk about work as an example, work happens a lot of different places. It's been spreading out, you know, this notion of distributed working for a couple decades now. And um, we might look at how it's supported in an office. And so if we understand all these different places where work can happen, as an example, we can go make great furniture. So that keeps me interested. It's, it's, uh, it's a fun and engaging kind of role. And these days, we're like the dog that caught the bumper. The, the, the world is interested in knowing about future of work and workplace. And that's something that we've been thinking about for a really long time. Hey, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Hacking HR podcast. I'm Tatiana, and I'm delighted to be joined today by a gentleman who's going to talk, listen to this, furniture, state of mind, and equitable workplaces, just to tease you a little. <laughs> Super warm welcome, Ryan Anderson. Thank you, Tatiana. I'm glad to be here. We're so happy to have you. And for everybody who doesn't know Ryan, um, you can certainly add a few words, but he is the VP of Global Research and Insights at Herman Miller, an amazing company that has beautiful furniture. I'm sure we've all been seated in some of those. And I think you have the benefit of being in one chair of those today. Tell us a little bit more. Why Herman Miller? What are you doing all day long? <laughs> yeah, I do get great furniture to sit in. Um, why Herman Miller? So I am fortunate to carry on a tradition at Herman Miller that started back in 1960 when we formalized our research processes, where we take a look at the people we're serving, the activities they're doing, and then the spaces where they are. And we're probably best known for our work in office design, but it's really well beyond that. It's homes. It's schools, hospitals, et cetera. Mm -hmm. And I love that approach. I've been in this industry for more than 25 years, but what I appreciate about Herm Miller is we don't really start with thinking about the furniture. Um, if you understand people and what they're trying to do, and then you begin to take a look at the environments they're in, you begin to see these patterns. So if we talk about work as an example, work mm -hmm. happens a lot of different places. It's been spreading out, you know, this notion of distributed working for a couple decades now. Mm -hmm. And um, we might look at how it's supported in an office. We even did kind of a crazy collab with uh, Nissan last year to, to do a concept vehicle for nomadic working that was shown virtually at the um, Toyota, or the, uh, excuse me, I can't believe I said Toyota, the Tokyo Auto Salon. Um, and so if we understand all these different places where work can happen, as an example, we can go make great furniture. So mm -hmm. that keeps me interested. It's, it's, uh, it's a fun and engaging kind of role. And these days, we're like the dog that caught the bumper. The, the, the world is interested in knowing about future of work and workplace. And that's something that we've been thinking about for a really long time. Love that. And I will admit my bias because before we hit record, I obviously asked Ray, and okay, you're into furniture business. Is it really still in demand? Because people are all working from home. And Ryan was like, hold on a second. There's a few more things we do. <laughs> Care sharing about this little orange book you just shared with me. Yeah, but first I'm going to follow up on what you just said, oh. which is um, what's happening right now is that there's like been this pendulum shift that happened in 2020, where before the pandemic, very few uh, people leaders thought remote work was sustainable. Then by the early fall, 
there was like this whole wave of sentiment around, hey, remote working seems to work. Do we need offices? Mm. And I was always, I kind of smiled when people asked that because we've been studying fully remote companies for years as an example. And even most of them have offices. And now the pendulum has swung more towards hybrid working. (laughs) And if you look, a majority of people say they still want to come into the office, but they want to do it on their terms and they want to be able to work from home. And so the key is that we reimagine workplace as a continuum of spaces. And thankfully, that's how we view things and we support work in a variety of places. So offices will be redesigned to be less generic and much more purposeful and on-demand. Home workplaces are increasingly being company supported. So I feel like we've got more opportunity than ever. Um, so yeah, it, 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 there is still a demand for office furniture. Thankfully, it's not necessarily um, all generic small desks, which have mm-hmm. occupied um, floor plans in the past. And now that I've got on that tangent, Tatiana, I forgot your real question. What was it? I was just curious if you can turn us back to the book that you shared with yes. me. Yes. One discovery, people, you won't believe. We were discussing office design, where it all emerged, and Ryan made a very good point that actually, initially, it was all based around IT infrastructure and needs of the technical setup in the office. So So it certainly was for 30 years. So if I go way back to like history of the office, it had its origins late 1800s, and I can bore you to death with all the evolutions of it. But there was this movement out of Germany, actually, I know you're based in Berlin called Bureau Landschaft, which was office landscape, which was the origins of open office back in the 50s. And we put out this kind of manifesto, which you referenced called the office, a facility based on change, which was about how to create very human centered workplaces that evolved that changed over time. But you're right. Desktop computing was a game changer. When Stanford showed the world the first personal computer in 1968 at an event that is now known as the mother of all demos, we designed the environment for it. We were working with Stanford Research Institute, so designed that first environment. But I don't think it was apparent at the time just how much desktop computing would come to dominate office design. When I entered the industry in the mid-90s, the, the typical practice was you took a look at a floor plan, you had a sense of where all the computers were going to be, there was a process to route power and Ethernet, you know, network cables, mm-hmm. the furniture, which was meant to be highly flexible and movable was essentially tied together by those cables. And the actual desk design or workstation design usually started with a big corner for a big monitor and wrapped around the user and then you put in the people at the end and there was no autonomy <laughs> was or choice left? with where you could work. Yeah, you accessorized with the human beings because the space was designed around IT networks, not human networks. It was very constraining. Here's the trouble. All of these assumptions that occurred during those decades that most people do their individual work in one place, that you need to assign a space to each individual to do all their work. Many of those assumptions have not been questioned until very recently. So it was very... Um, you know, restraining in terms of what we could do with office design. There's been ways of creating much more dynamic, interesting, rich, um, more human-centered office spaces for years. We're fortunate. We, we tend to attract customers that have a very strong desire to create great employee experiences. So we've helped to create some amazing spaces. But by and large, it eluded a lot of offices around the world. They were still designed with the old assumptions in mind. Mm-hmm. But distributed working has been on the rise since 
Wi-Fi and laptops came around. So at least 15 years. And I'm optimistic that what's on our horizon in the future isn't going to be a sea of individual workstations and generic conference rooms because that's not what people are looking for anymore. Love that. Let's touch on the second key word you put out there, state of mind. What does yeah. that have to do with workplace? Uh, a lot, because if we go back to that model of people, their activities, and where, we have to understand um, people at a deeper level than their job title. I mean, we need to understand their physical, social, cognitive needs. We need to understand the nature of their networks. Um, we spend a surprising amount of time looking at sociological frameworks, um, whether it's weak ties, strong ties from Mark Granovetter or you know theory X, theory Y, things that might have more of a root within the HR world because we need to understand the dynamics of teams and individuals. And so when we were chatting, I, I referenced that we've done research over the years in a variety of, of things that might not be considered traditional ergonomics, like mm -hmm. physical ergonomics, but they might be considered more cognitive ergonomics that have really given us a tremendous understanding of all the different factors that help someone to be productive or not productive or engaged or not engaged within a particular environment. And without boring you with all the details, I can, I can hone in on this. Giving people choice and then giving them meaningful choices is the key to addressing almost all of this. So moving away from the, that's your place, that's where you do your work in this new world of flexible hybrid, to not fall into the habit of being prescriptive, like we're hybrid, you can work from home on Fridays. Like that's not yeah. embracing <laughs> autonomy and providing mm -hmm. choice and choices. If you look at the hundreds of factors that might cause someone to be productive on a given day, their work style, their personal lives, their home situation, their, their sensory um, abilities and limitations. Ultimately, you'll come to the conclusion that it's pretty impossible for an organization to hone in on what's right for an individual, but what you can do is offer them choices and, and empower them to choose what's right for them on a given day, which is the winning combination, I think. Yeah. Super important. And I think it's it's only been accelerated as people started to really invest heavily in their own home office space, no matter how small or how unflexible maybe the, the environment where they put it. But they put so much effort and love and Home Depot and all the other wonderful places, I'm sure got a lot of new customers to really go into that place of here I have the opportunity, maybe for the very first time, to design it my way have pictures up there if I want them, have plants going there if I want them, have the dog you know, by my feet if I want to, have the door open to my child crib if that's what I, I prefer. So it's the first time people really own their space. How do you think yeah. is that gonna evolve in now companies offering more choices, but then could it lead to the other extreme that everybody wants something super special and companies get overly exhausted and stressed by trying to offer all of that? Well, I love how you frame this question because we have a we have a work from home tool, wfh.hermiller.com. It's not a sales tool. It's uh, a tool that I think we're up to maybe 22,000 people have used just to try to assess their own work from home situation. Mm -hmm. It does look at things through the lens of physical, cognitive, and social activities. And the real goal of it is to create an awareness for the person using it that they are the designer. Like they don't have mm -hmm. to just work within you know, that's my sofa, I'm going to get something to put on my lap. And that's the only place I've got right. that even if it's something as simple as thinking about natural light, bringing in some plants, 
standing, going and working for 10 minutes from the counter. So they might not have a sit-stand desk, but they certainly do have multiple postures uh, mm -hmm. available to them within their homes. Like this is the corner we need to turn. Most people have been dealing with whatever their existing home office situation or work from home situation is for the last year and a half. People need to begin to say, wait, this is impacting my well-being and it's impacting my productivity. So I need to begin to to um, take control of my working environment and be more cognizant of what impacts me in good or bad ways. Do I wanna work outside a little bit? Do I wanna think about turning off video a little bit more? Does it make more sense to begin to, um, you know, dedicate a certain portion of my home just for working? And um, there's some really, you know, great data out there from not just from us, but from organizations like Leesman Index and others about how to do this. I think what hasn't happened yet is that organizations, with the exception of those that have decided to go remote first, most organizations haven't engaged their employees and said, hey, this is something that we want you to do. Many organizations have provided some stipend or reimbursement. We think that's going to go up in the future. Mm -hmm. um, we have an e-com channel specifically for that, and we've had great activity there. But what should accompany that is just a little bit of education to the person saying, yeah, we know you probably need a better chair. That's the most common uh, thing that people say they want. But give some thought to your technology use. Give some thought, as you said, to how you're viewed on video, what's in my background, how is the lighting affecting me. This is a really random one, but something I pay attention to is indoor air quality. I got a little $40 CO2 monitor online because the evidence suggests that when CO2 levels are really elevated, your cognition goes down. Yeah. Most people aren't going to know this stuff, but there are some really basic things you can do to take control over yeah. your work from home experience. And most people won't be working from home full-time, but I don't think organizations want to leave 20 or 40% of a person's productivity, health, and, and engagement to chance. So yeah. particularly as HR leaders, there's a huge opportunity to accelerate this. The information's there. It's just it hasn't gotten to most people. Yeah, I love that. You are the designer is certainly something we're taking away here. And then something that really caught me, Ryan, and, and I will admit, I haven't thought about it much. You meant to talk about equitable workplaces how they are designed, how they have been designed. Now, what are we experiencing? What are we seeing maybe going forward? And what are the potential risks and traps we might fall into? Please share. Great question. I think organizations will realize that particularly around hybrid or more flexible working, that the link to their DE&I strategies is more important than they maybe ever realize. And I'll give you um, two places to start. One would be around equitable work experiences. And the second would be around more inclusive environments. So when I talk with some of our customers that have pushed the boundaries of hybrid the most, equity is on the top of their mind. And it gets back to what I said before, which is traditional ways of assigning people to locations based on job title have proven to be pretty ineffective. Mm -hmm. And if we were to just take a look at a, a small group of users and say, well, where would they do their best work? We would have to take into account their physical, cognitive, sensory abilities. We would need to take into account the dynamics of their work team, the nature of their work on a given day, their technology tools, their, their responsibilities as a care provider to a parent, a pet, a child, their relationship with their, their partner, their Wi-Fi. I mean, the, the list is so long and the challenge is it changes day to day, which is why we get back to this notion of choice and choices. We're a founding member of um, a consortium called Future Forum, 
along with um, Slack and Boston Consulting Group, Management Leadership for Tomorrow and others. And we do an index every quarter of 10,000 people from around the world. And the, the most recent um, posts, which are on the futureforum.com blog, uh, are really interesting. They highlight a few things that are worth noting. One is that the demand for flexibility among employees is really high. That won't surprise mm -hmm. you. But there's, there's something like 76% of people that want more flexibility with where they could work, but 93% want more flexibility with when they could work. A lot of the, the issues around creating equitable work experiences are the demands we put on people when we lock them into video meetings all day long, you know, synchronous communication. Uh, it doesn't allow people to attend to their caregiving responsibilities. It penalizes people in different time zones. Um, and there's also some information there about some specific groups like working moms and African-American knowledge workers who have unique needs around flexibility and are benefited by more flexibility. Um, when we get into things like how people feel in terms of their representation, someone might actually feel better represented in a meeting with leadership on a Zoom call where everybody's box is the same because there's no head of a table on a Zoom call basically. And, and so there's a lot of factors here, but I think the key foundation there is more choices, more empowerment leads to more equitable experiences. The other side, which I'll be a little bit shorter on because between you and me, I could go on about this for ages, is mm -hmm. there are ways of designing the environment to think about more inclusive design. And traditionally in the US at least, we've had some basic criteria with the Americans with Disabilities Act around outlets needing to be a certain height to be able to, to reach them. That is real basic. I think our world has pushed way beyond that to begin thinking about creating more inclusive experiences along many dimensions. You know, we have an aging workforce, astigmatisms are common. That creates some challenges around specific things like, can I see the edge of the, the chair uh, compared to the carpeting if they're, the colors of them are too similar? Mm -hmm. So without getting into all the details, I think the most enlightened organizations are saying, let's provide choices, which will increase equitable experiences. But then when people are in the office, let's make sure that they're designed to be really inclusive of people who you know, maybe speak a different language, have different set of abilities that have different motor, sensory, cognitive functions, maybe not because they're technically diagnosed with a disability, but just because it's a really diverse uh, workforce with lots of different needs. Love that. And, and I'm, I'm sure there's tons of things we can take away, especially as we work more closely about not just you know, people benefits and structures and well-being programs, but actually extend way beyond that and to consider workplaces and all those experiences in that much, much more tightly. And as you said, I love what you mentioned about choice and choices. I think oftentimes we just say you have a choice between going home or coming to work or a combination of both, but you right. don't have choices in those places. So I think that's eye-opening to say, use different spaces as they're available, create them or your own way, make them yours in a way, own them, but then also have the ability to drop next day because you might not be at your best in the same spirit that you were in yesterday. I think there is a ton of things here that we can do. And um, I love that you're sharing something very super tangible so people can really start, you know, just ticking things off and saying, sure, that's easy to do. That's not big rocket science actually. Yeah, and this is where HR's involvement in workplace is so critical mm -hmm. and it, um, it hasn't, been very consistent in the past. Uh, when when we saw the pandemic 
you know, happen. And we saw the accelerative effects of it. A lot of the things around workplace design, flexible working didn't surprise us. The most pleasant surprise for me was the major influx of HR professionals into workplace conversations. And I hope it doesn't stop. So, you know, my recommendation would be if you're an HR person and you're not yet involved in workplace decisions, step one, get involved and ask the question, how do we even uh, view workplace? Is it just corporate office? If it is just corporate office, let's think about choice and choices within our floor plan, mm -hmm. but maybe it extends beyond corporate office. Maybe it's flexible co-working space. Maybe it's work from home. And then how do we begin to support people and to elevate the user needs, you know, the, the notion of workplace experience as a subset of employee experience. Mm -hmm. Are we creating equitable experiences? Are we engaging people? We've partnered with Gallup for years on our own employee engagement. I love reading their reports on state of American workplace. For years, there's been a correlation between more choice and higher levels of engagement. And the HR world knows better than anybody else the positive effects of employee engagement. And so, you know, my hope would be that really supporting people holistically across this ecosystem of spaces where they work is something that HR continues to have a strong voice in because there are some very enlightened facilities and real estate leaders, IT leaders and others, but I don't know that there's been a consistent champion for the people in workplace conversations over the years and now's the time. Absolutely. And we have a great advocate with you. So clearly lots of things to do, lots of takeaways. And unfortunately, as always, we run out of time too fast. So something we need to do with a time machine. But I would love to ask you, Ryan, in, in closing, what are you most excited about? And maybe also even most concerned about if we talk future or future of work more specifically? Yeah, um, I think what I'm most excited about is the reimagination of some of the spaces that we've known as workplace. For somebody who's made a career out of researching what's possible, it's been tough to see the state of offices leading up to the pandemic. You know, there's been articles around death of the office. The reality was the office was kind of on life support mm -hmm. before the pandemic. It was very generically planned by and large. We saw, we use sensors we have a sensor product actually. So we see sensor data on space utilization. We saw declining year over year use of desks as an example for the decade before the pandemic. So I'm just so pleased that workspaces are being reimagined as being critical components to the culture, as being there to strengthen community, to create a sense of belonging among people and a deeper association between the organization and the individual. That's all so long overdue. What I'm concerned about is what, I'm gonna quote um, one of my colleagues on Future Forum, Brian Elliott, what he calls false flexibility, which is there is this desire when we move from principle to policy to in theory embrace flexibility, but not really deliver it. So, you know, if the principle is, hey, you're a critical part of our culture, we want you to be present in the office when you can be, you know, if you live five hours away, maybe that's once a quarter. If you're a working mom and you have pickup at 2.45, maybe it's in the mornings. If you're somebody that has terrible Wi-Fi, maybe it's every day. Like that is clear to me. If it's, We've embraced hybrid working and you need to be in the office on Thursdays, you know, and Fridays each week. <laughs> that ain't going to do it. And I do see as the principles at a leadership level sometimes filter into more day-to-day -day policy decisions, people beginning to react. And I think this year is going to be really, this next year is going to be really important because 
The employees of the world are trying to figure out whether or not their employers are serious about flexibility. The, the experience of 2020 was not an exercise in autonomy. People were forced, at least if they were doing computer-based work, they were forced to go to one place, their home. Yeah. And just now are beginning to taste this idea that maybe they'll have more choices in the future. And I really think that those organizations that deliver will do very well in the hunt and retention for great talent. And those that don't are going to learn the hard way. Love that. Awesome conversation. Unfortunately, too short as always, but thank you so, so much, Ryan. And I hope everybody listening and, and watching today, you could see there is a lot of great tangible things we can do turn around, make it more hours integrated into our work as HR and people leaders, but equally leverage people like Ryan and his organization and the future forum experts and whoever is involved to make sure that we really look at it holistically. I think the key word you just use is autonomy. So people now have choices and there's already other great buzzwords floating like the great resignation and what have you. So I'm sure there is a lot of awareness to be built, but also education on ourselves as well as on the wider ecosystem. What is possible? How can we, as you say, reimagine future work and workplaces and ton of things to take away. So thank you so much everybody for watching, for listening. Thanks Ryan, endlessly supportive of this community. Thank you so much. We hope to see you back in one of our sessions or global conferences. We'd love to. I look forward to it. And if anybody wants more information, they can go to hermiller.com, click on research. We have a future of work hub designed to support the conversations like you and I just had. So Beautiful. thanks for having me. Thank you for joining. Thanks everybody. Hope you had a great time. Stay safe wherever you are. See you next time at the next episode of Hacking HR. Take care. Thank you, everybody, for watching or listening to this podcast. I hope you enjoyed the show. Please follow us on our social media and subscribe to our newsletter so that you can stay informed of all the things that we're putting together for you from the Hacking HR community. Thank you so much. Please continue to stay safe, stay well, stay strong, and we will see you soon.